At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thank you for listening. Hope everybody out there had a great Thanksgiving. Got a good episode here for you today. James Andrew Miller, author extraordinaire, is on the show who uh, has a new book out about HBO, and he covers everything about HBO, every show that's been on there, and shares a lot of uh, inside details and stuff, Sopranos, Curb, uh, Larry Sanders Show, get into the history of HBO with Jim Miller. We also talk about some ESPN and um, Manning Cast stuff as well, and followed following Jim, Salicata joins me for the weekly Train of Thoughts segment where we get into the college football circus that has taken place and um, a couple of other things. The Will Ferrell story that came out this week with Adam McKay not being friends and partners anymore and talk about a couple of other things with Sal. So that's all on this episode. If you missed it last week, we did an all train of thoughts edition of the SI Media podcast two weeks ago, Kenny Main, three weeks ago, Becky Lynch and Kevin Clark, four weeks ago, Al Michaels. So if you missed any of those episodes, check them out in the archives, rate and review. All right, let's get to Jim Miller, followed by Train of Thoughts right here on this episode of the SI Media Podcast. All right, joining me now, SI Media Podcast regular, brand new book out about HBO that I am thoroughly enjoying. And of course, the man who knows everything about ESPN, Saturday Night Live, a bunch of other things, James, Andrew Miller. Jim, how are you? Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm well. My pleasure. Loving the HBO book. I don't want to scare people and tell them it's 950 pages, but there's a lot of juicy stuff in that book that I've enjoyed. It goes 950 fast. pages, though, is, is, is a chore. It goes fast, but it's, uh, it's, it's nearly 50 years, and uh, I try and write books of record. So. And this is definitely of record. There's no doubt. Before we get into the book, because there's a lot there, a couple of just media, sports media things. Um, you know, I don't go a week on this podcast, but I'll talk about the Manning cast. It's been a huge hit for ESPN. You you sort of know all of the inner workings of ESPN. I would imagine in Bristol, they could not have asked for anything better in terms of reception and, and ratings for this. Yeah, I mean, look, remember that they asked for Peyton to be in the booth several years ago. So you start from there, and that was an obvious ask. And I think Peyton was smart about his decision. Uh, there were a variety of factors involved in why he said no, but you got I mean, look, you, you got to give credit to ESPN for this thing. I mean, we've talked about this before. It's how often do you really get something that adds to, you know, the sport in sports media in a meaningful, fun, crazy way. And, uh, you know, I just love it. I, I actually love the X's and O's about it, uh, even even more than anything else. I mean, it's obviously entertaining and it's kind of fun to see the dynamic between the two of them. But it's really cool if you love football. Yeah, I think they're in an interesting spot because the fan in me who watches it, I'm a little nervous. I don't want any tweaking. I feel like 
executives try to get involved. And I know this is an Omaha deal as well. So maybe that won't happen as much as if it was just an ESPN deal, but they, if someone's going to try to come in and act like they're smart and do something different, that's always my fear and tweak something about it. Now, the flip side of that is a lot of people, and I've, I've now become in this camp, think we don't need four guests every week with them. They're so good on their own, especially like you said, with the X's and O's, I'd like to see them maybe go to two guests. I don't think they're going to make any changes this season, maybe next season. Um, I don't know if they think it's a lot to handle just pain and Eli if they don't have the guests. But the only criticism I hear, and it's constructive, it's not negative, is less guests, more Peyton and Eli. Do you know if there's any internal discussions about that at ESPN? I mean, look, they are thinking about that. In some ways, it's like this crazy version of The Tonight Show in a way that these people come come in and, you know, the, the, the brothers actually do play host. And people are asked questions and they do their bits and they do... Uh, I think that the four guests were was born out of a concern that if it's just the two guys, especially because Eli is somewhat innervated, although I think he does a great job and he does a great job at not trying to upstage his brother and he knows his lane and he knows who he is. He's not trying to be somebody else. I think there was an initial concern that, you know, you got to populate this with people. And by the way, let's just say that they've done a terrific job of booking the show. Like yeah. four guests every week and four guests that you kind of care about. I mean, there haven't been, you know, big strikeouts in terms of like, well, why are they bringing on so-and-so and so-and-so is boring and so-and-so. I mean, some of these people are about as good as I've seen them in terms of like talking and being interviewed and talking about the game and stuff. So it's a really high level of difficulty that they're pulling off. At the end of the day, though, I'm going to probably side with you. I think four is too much. Um, you know, whether it's two or three is beside the point, but right. otherwise just let the, let the Mannings be Mannings and don't screw around with it. Yeah. Um, we're taping this on de- December 1st. So now you're going to start seeing a lot of year end pieces. Um, I had to write a little something for sports illustrated just on some of the best of, or biggest of the year type things. And I, I said the biggest, I think story in sports the biggest thing in sports television was, was the success of the Manning cast. And then I said the biggest controversy of the year, I thought was the Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols situation at ESPN where they're both gone from ESPN. Now, uh, where do we, as a year end type of thing, where does ESPN stand right now? Do you think they, um, they've stabilized things after the rough summer with, with that controversy? Are there still issues they've got going on? What, what's the sort of the state of the union in ESPN. I mean, ESPN. I, the Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols thing, I, I think just in terms of personalities in sports media, obviously the biggest. And it has social, racial, cultural dimensions to it that we still haven't fully explored. There's a lot that, quite frankly, I've been told on background that, you know, and I'm sure you have too, that hasn't come out yet. And all incredibly sad and incredibly frustrating. Um, that said, I think that if you're Jimmy Bittar and you're looking back on the year, you know, working backwards, just 30,000 feet, would have loved the EPL. NBC did a great job in keeping it. Very, very happy about hockey and PGA. And of course, the big, big player is the NFL deal and the schedule and the playoff and everything else repairing their uh, relationship with the league. I mean, which was job number one for Jimmy. So I, I think that Jimmy's got enough to look back on, to feel like it's been a successful year. There are big questions lurking out there for ESPN in the coming years and probably in the coming year that are going to have to be solved, including a big one with Burbank, which is, are they going to spin this thing off as much as they say they're not? It makes me think that they're going, they, they, they have to consider it and get closer to it. Um, and of course, you know, you have an NBA deal, you have other deals coming up. Uh, are the resources going to be there? What is the fundamental equation going to be like with Burbank and how much of that money is going to be spent 
for new rights. And I think, you know, we're going to, we're going to start to see that pretty soon. Last thing before we get to the book, the NFL has to be happy with their season ratings up 39 million people watched Raiders Cowboys on Thanksgiving. More surprisingly, 26 million nut jobs watched lions bears. Any reason for the big rate? I mean, we're out of COVID, we're out of the pandemic. So obviously rating is going to be up from 2020, but things have been up since from 2019. What, anything you attribute that to? I think, you know, it's kind of weird, right? Because there was a period in uh, during, during the pandemic where we thought football was coming back and then it didn't, it just crested. Right. And it wasn't like that big explosion that we thought it would be, but I feel like for whatever reason, and I mean, I guess the quality of play you could, I mean, there's a lot of great matchups. There's a lot of closer, closer, closer games. And I feel like people have really settled back into an NFL routine um, and they're, they're loving. I mean, it was huge on Thanksgiving. You didn't, you didn't give the one reason that I would give as a degenerate and that's the gambling situation and all this. I think, uh, you know, look, uh, that's my fault only because <laughs> a, I, I think it's a given. I, I, I also believe, look, you know, I'm glad that gambling is legal and, you know, good. You can do this in a jury. I, I think gambling has always been a big part of the NFL and there's, Oh always, yeah. You know, but it's, but it's sure it's, it's obviously, you know, out in the open now being embraced in a way that we never could have imagined before. And I think the only thing that can hurt it is when you get teams like my Eagles, you know, last Sunday, you're watching the game and it makes you so car sick. You're, you're, you're so tempted to turn it off. I mean, I, I think that the, there are, there's a lot of competitiveness going into the final month of the season and teams are, you know, I think a lot of teams are still on the hunt and the, the matchups are great. So, well, that's what's in, there's no there's no great team this year. There's not one team that's great. So I think that's going to make for a wild playoffs. Which will well, be when great you get your you know, if you if you get the Brady Belichick Super Bowl, well, uh, you know, I mean that, that's got to be. I tweeted about that weeks ago. I hope it happens. Got to be in the back of everybody's out. mind. Yep. And, uh, you know, you you can't you can't bet against either of those. Uh, Would love to see a rating for that one. It would be huge. Yeah. All right, let's get to the HBO book. It's called Tinderbox. It's out now everywhere, Tinderbox. And it's, I mean, it is literally everything about HBO. I mean, there is nothing that was not mentioned. Um, I love seeing the really old references to when I, in the early 80s, you mentioned First and 10. You mentioned not necessarily the news, two shows that blew me away when I was a kid. Um, More current, you know, there's a lot of sports stuff in there inside the NFL. Obviously, the history of boxing. People might not remember Wimbledon was part of HBO. Uh, let me start with the shows, though, and then maybe we'll do a little bit of the sports in HBO. There was a lot of Gary Shandling in the book, which I enjoyed because I love the Larry Sanders show. And I didn't realize. So there are a lot of issues on this set um, with Gary in real life and Artie, who was played by Rip Torn, also had some issues. But the show was phenomenal. How does that happen where the off screen stuff doesn't affect what we see on the air and it's still so great. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? I mean, yeah. one of the things that I try to do in this book, we all have uh, shows on HBO that we love. And I mean, Larry Sanders is obviously one of them and Sopranos and Curb, you and I talk about all the time and Sex and City and all the way up through, you know, Succession. And I think that one of the things that I wanted to do in this book is I wanted to show people, look, you know what you see every week. But this is what's been going on behind the scenes. This is the drama that goes on that we don't get to see. And these are the decisions that get made that affect what we see. And these are the people making the decisions. You know, sometimes, like, I don't think a lot of people know outside of Hollywood the name Chris Albrecht or Carolyn Strauss, you know, but those are people that had a huge, huge impact on HBO and our lives. And so one of the things that I tried to do was try to explain who they are, tried to explain some of the chaos that was going on and some of the incredible, incredible uh, great moves that were going on behind the scenes at HBO. Um, and that, you know, especially with Game of Thrones and others uh, and, and show people that um, there's, it's an iceberg. 
you know, from what everything you see on a Sunday night, there's a whole lot of shit going on underneath the water. Yeah. And it was a lot of shit with the Larry Sanders show. That's for sure. Well, that's the thing. With, I mean, Larry was crazy. I mean, right. you know, and it's great to have people like Peter Tolan, who's a wonderful writer, and obviously Judd Apatow and others talk about Gary's neuroses. Uh, Gary Shanley himself didn't shy away from his talking about his neuroses. But I think it was important to try and place it in the context of the show. If you're trying to get a show out every single week, and this is who's at the center of it. And this are some of his demons. And this is some of, some of his, the way he's overextended and the way it's manifesting itself, both in terms of like the workload and his own health. You know, people right. talk about what he's kind of medicine he's taken and the kind of, you know, long days he's had. That to me is, uh, you know, something I really want to dig into. It was interesting too, because it was, fun. there's a thing in there about, I, I guess someone was going to quote unquote expose Gary Shanley's drug problem, but it was Ambien. And there is a whole thing in the book about James Gandolfini did have a drug and alcohol problem. There was an intervention and it seemed for the two of them, the pressure of constantly having to do that show every year really got to them, especially for James Gandolfini who had to get into the Tony Soprano character and it wore him down. Then you have the flip side, which is Larry David, which, HBO basically told Larry, you do the show whenever you want. You want to take one year off, two years off, three years off, four years. You know, it's interesting. The dichotomy there I thought was very interesting between Larry Sander, uh, Gary Shandling and James Gandolfini and then Larry David in the in sort of how they handled the shows. So the truth is, I mean, look, acting is difficult and great acting is even harder, but you bring yourself with you. You know, you can't. It's, it's not like when you go on a set you're obviously becoming another character, but you're still the same human being inside. And one of the things I think that we saw with James Gandolfini was that he had a dark side to him that he knew about even as a teenager and playing Tony Soprano forced him to tap into that dark side. So it became incredibly debilitating for him and it became very, very hard. There's a great quote, you know, somebody says, you know, he, he said to somebody, you don't know what the show is doing to me. And you just feel for him. And of course, he was so incredibly talented, so loved by his castmates and obviously the public. And and you just think, you know, your heart goes out to the guy. I, uh, I never knew he guy. I never but knew that, he had those those addiction problems. I never knew it until your book, I think, came yeah, out. Yeah, no, it was it was formidable. I mean, Larry, the funny thing is that Larry has always been like a sad, happy is a Larry, a happy Larry, right? I mean, even back to SNL where he could barely get a sketch on the air and his stand-up life wasn't doing great. I mean, if you think about Larry David before Seinfeld, it's a, it's a tough story. I mean, he really hung in there and he had financial difficulties and he had a really tough road. I think one of the things that HBO did that was so smart and they said to Larry David, not only whenever but however and whatever yeah. so you can't you can't be in business with larry david for nearly for, for 20 years basically and have any guardrails up i mean can you imagine being like a young hbo executive and like you're supposed to give larry david notes on right. Curtis? I, right. my, for, forget yeah. it just yeah. just just go to the grand canyon and take a swan dive um and i think <laughs> that they've been really smart about how they've treated him and obviously he's happy about it that's the thing. Larry still wouldn't be doing it if they were giving him notes that, you know, he could, he's got the power there, which is, which is great. But that's part of what HBO does throughout its history, which is right. that they decide to do and perform in a way that's 180 degrees different from the networks. So to piggyback on that, one of the things I, I found really interesting in the book about the Sopranos is, you know, listen, now everyone agrees Sopranos greatest show of all time. It's legendary. But the book details very specifically that the show tested poorly with audiences. And there was a HBO didn't know whether they were going to pick it up and go forward with it. And HBO being HBO and not a network like CBS or ABC, NBC said, you know, basically screw the testing. We're going to go through with it. It's crazy to think how close it might have come to never happening. Well, I think that the reason why I dwelled on that in the book is because that's one of those proverbial forks in the road where the network 
given the test results that came back for the Sopranos, the ne a network, a commercial network probably would not have gone ahead. And let's face it, they probably would not have cast James Gandolfini in the lead because now we know him to be this remarkable actor and he, and we know that he could carry the show before, you know, that he wasn't, he wasn't a known star and he had obviously great moments in Get Shorty and True Romance and other things, but a network would not have taken a show and put it on his, let, you know, put it on this guy's back. So once again, you see HBO making moves in a way that had never really been done in the industry before. I mean, when you think about it, look at Succession. I mean, they're still doing it because there's two things about Succession that scream out. One is there is no one that you fucking like. There's no one that you admire, that you want to hang out with, that you want to be. I mean, so much of television is aspirational, right? Yeah. But like who on, no offense against any of them, but who do you want to like, you know, hang out with on a Sunday afternoon and have them over to brunch and just take a deep breath with? No one. And the second is that when they decided to do the show, Casey Bloys, who runs content and is really smart, um, says, we don't need a star. We believe in the material. We believe in the writing. We believe in this concept. We don't need to camouflage it or hedge our bets by, you know, trying to get Jennifer Aniston to play Shiv or, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. And both of those, you know, those are two big power moves. Another thing I loved in the book about The Sopranos, you, you go into great detail um, about the Pine Barrens episode, which there was a lot of great, great information in there. And how about the fact, I learned this in, in James's book, they had not planned for the snow when they did all the rehearsals and, and the, scouted the location. It was supposed to be in the woods. And then there was a snowstorm and they had to incorporate it basically. And how much of a factor did the snow play ends up playing in that episode? That is an amazing oh, twist of fate right there. It's, it's just fantastic. You know, J Jeffrey Katzenberg, when he was at Disney, he had this rule that the audience doesn't like snow. And I think that for a long time, there weren't a lot of there weren't a lot of movies set in snow. He just, uh, you know, he had his reasons. But I can't look at that episode and think, you know, what would it have been like without? I mean, obviously, it still would have been a great show. Right. And it was written beautifully. Steve Buscemi direct. I mean, like you can go on and on. But the snow each one of them talk about the fact that the snow came and they weren't, they weren't going to back down. In fact, I mean, it led to some of, I mean, Pine Barrens, obviously you know this, but you talk about the, the Sopranos ability, that shows ability to combine fear, drama, and humor is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Oh yeah. Yeah. And a great nugget too, that I learned in the book you, you, as a viewer, you think the whole episode is shot there in the woods, but the scene where Paulie and Christopher in the, in the van eating the ketchup, that's sh shot on a soundstage because they had to worry about lighting and, and darkness and all that. So I, I loved learning about that episode with the, in the book with those. Um, little, now, here's what's I find this interesting. The flip side of that, Sopranos tested poorly. HBO basically said, screw the testing. We're putting it on. Many, many years later, Lisa Kudrow, after Friends, gets a show called Comeback. I didn't watch it. I, I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I, but I, you know, it's one of those things I know that it was only on for a season. So what am I going to watch it for now? And her show, according to the book, literally got canceled because of bad reviews from the media. I thought it was startling that an executive would admit that, but they admit it. And that's really what got that show canceled. What, what can you tell us about that whole episode? Well, I think there are two cases where, I mean, look, it's easy and it's, it's compelling and, and I have to do it, you know, with shows that are hits to examine why they became hits and talk about some of the great moments and everything. But there are two shows that I kind of dig, to, dig into around that time, The Comeback and Enlightened with Laura Dern. In both shows, you have unbelievable talent in the lead role, right? I mean, Laura Dern's been in movies since she was, what, 12? I mean, she's one of our great actresses. Lisa Kudrow is only on one of the most successful comedies of all time and is an, an incredible comedian. Both of those shows last for, they, they exit HBO very, very quickly. 
um, despite the fact Laura Dern wins the Golden Globe mm. and, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Kudrow wins. And I, like, it's unbelievable the way that HBO sometimes can hang in with something and other times turn and run. And I think right. I use both of those examples of the fact that HBO was changing and they started to really care about things they didn't. Well, big theme in the book about that is Mad Men and Breaking Bad. When those two shows came on, Mad Men was went to AMC, Breaking Bad was Showtime, and a lot of the narrative was like, why didn't Breaking HBO? Breaking Bad was AMC too. AMC. Why didn't HBO get these shows? Now, what's interesting to me too is, and this is again great part of the book, Mad Men, which I loved, went to AMC, and you know the creators and people who worked on it not crazy about the restrictions that uh, AMC had on the show. Like I think it, in the book points out like, you know, John Hamm could say Jesus and he could say Christ, but he can't say Jesus Christ Whereas HBO, anything goes as you saw. So was that, the, was that a sort of a turning point when Mad Men and Breaking Ben didn't Breaking Bad were not HBO shows, which everyone thought they would be based on what they are. I mean, look, first of all, you can't bat a thousand. I, the circumstances for each of those shows not being on HBO were different. I would go to another example, which is particularly formidable uh, in terms of like House of Cards. So House of Cards, HBO was interested in. They're right. ready to do a pilot. And then all of a sudden, David Fincher gets a two-year season commitment from Netflix. And that, I think, is the moment where you realize, okay, wait a second. The world is shaking under our feet. This is a whole new dynamic. We're not in Kansas anymore. And I think that that... You know, I think that was important. And I would add a fourth to the list, which is that the producers and the great Peter Morgan came to HBO first with The Crown. They thought that HBO was the natural place for it. They wanted to be there. It wound up being a disastrous meeting for a variety of reasons. Um, that went to Netflix as well. So you start to see, I mean, look, Netflix has always had some advantages. Um, they're going to spend a lot more money. They don't have to show profits like HBO does. But... I think that when you start to look, can you imagine House, House, of, House of Cards and The Crown, not on Netflix, but on HBO? Right. Those, are, those are significant. Yeah. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. I've only gotten to page 635 out of the 950. So I haven't gotten to the, well, you've only the been house of cards like, part you know, two hours. Yeah. So two, day, two days in. So um, part of the book I love because I love both those guys. So I have to mention this. I, I don't think the Ali G show gets the credit it deserves for being so groundbreaking. And when it was on originally, I just, I remember being so completely blown away by the Ali G show, but there's a great story in the book that Jerry Seinfeld wanted to meet Sasha Baron Cohen because his wife loved Ali G so much. And Jerry had to call someone at HBO to set up a meeting. Now here's Jerry Seinfeld, the biggest sitcom star in the universe with the most popular sitcom of all time. And he wants to meet Sasha well, Cohen. I thought that was a great story. It was Jerry's wife, Jessica, right. Right. meet Sasha. But you know, the, it's one of those moments where, you know, an employee at HBO feels like, they're doing the Lord's work and so excited about their, their, their ability to connect these people. And, uh, 
you know, I think they're still close to this day. I love that nugget. One of the things that really struck me about the book is, I mean, you forget, you really forget about how much HBO has done. We know the shows. We talk about the shows all the time with Sopranos and Curve, Game of Thrones and Veep, everything. The documentaries, the music specials, you know, I really enjoyed the beginning part of the book when you got into sort of the late 70s, early 80s and just how it was so HBO was unlike everything they've seen. I think in the book, I think the first is the first musical thing they did was a Bette Midler concert. And early on. Yeah. yeah. And just how that came about. And um, really just when you see everything they've done in the scope of your book, it, it is it is pretty remarkable. Every, well, you know, HBO. I mean, look, Michael Fuchs was a big, big, uh, important part. And the people who worked with him at HBO were a big part of HBO's beginning. But if you're sitting there at the beginning of HBO and you're trying to figure out, you know, what can be done, the best thing that they decided to do was not try and become a network. And how are the ways that we can do that? And if you're a comedian, like, say, in the late 70s or in the 80s, you, your big break is going to be Johnny Carson, right? So what happens when you go on Johnny Carson? You have like a four and a half minute routine that you get to do, your stand-up routine. And of course, it has to be previewed for the network sensors. So there are certain things that you can say, certain words you can say, and certain things you can't say. And you have to memorize basically that routine. And you can't go, You if you go outside those guardrails, man, you will be voted off the island. They will not let you back. So that's your big break. All of a sudden, HBO says, screw that. Why don't you come on for an hour? Hey, Steve Martin. Hey, Robin Williams. Hey, Robert Klein. Hey, George Carlin. Come on for an hour and you can say whatever you want. So like George Carlin literally does the seven words you can't say on television, on television. I, I mean, that freedom and that strategy of making sure that you know, that's part of what started HBO, uncensored, uncut movies without commercials, lots of boxing, which, you know, quite frankly, the networks had given up on. And then you start to get into this deep end of the pool with comedians saying and doing anything they want. I wonder if anyone under 40 realizes that HBO didn't have original shows in terms of I'm talking sitcoms and dramas, you know, until probably what, 20 years into their existence almost. I mean, I mean that, you know, look, they were, they were worried about Michael Fuchs in particular about the deficits that come with doing original programming. But the other thing that happened was they had no choice because Jimmy, when you're advertising that we have uncut movies right. without commercials, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and there's a blockbuster on every freaking corner like, what are you, you going to, it's like, oh, well, we better change because uh, that's not enough anymore. And so that's when we started moving into original programming. I, I did. I love that early part of your book when it really brought us back to that time when in the beginning, HBO literally was the, di was, was the, was the music specials and the, and the, and the standup, like you mentioned, Carlin, Eddie Murphy, it was all, you know, and then the movies, all that before they got into their original programming, it was, it was, um, it was, it was so weird and different and new when that all took place. You know, you've mentioned the name Michael Fuchs a couple of times. I've tried to keep, I wanted to keep this interview more to the shows for the mass audience that's listening to this. Cause I, I don't know if they know the behind the scenes names. I'll, I want to say this. If you like office gossip type of thing and, 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 and drama in the workplace, the book is great. I mean, Jim has mentioned Michael Fuchs who was a big time executive running HBO. He gets pushed out. They bring him back uh, like 11 years later for some event. He was annoyed. They didn't name something after him because he was such a big player. He goes and gives a speech and says, this is a watch they gave me when I, they fired me 11 years ago. And then he smashes the watch. But then he says, it's only a $20 watch. And it was, if you love all that drama, it, a lot of that stuff is great in the book. I, I wanted to know, was that the real watch or was he telling the truth that it was a $20 watch? Well, he didn't say it at the time. I, I, I found out that it was a fake watch. Okay. Like he threw it on the floor and then stepped on it and said, this is what I think of the watch. Basically, this is what I think of the watch you gave me and, and stomped on it. And like, people were like stunned um, because it was in front of a room of people who had contributed to the watch. But it turned out that he was, you know, he used like a $20 Timex as a stunt. The way the book intersperses the stuff that's going on with the shows and the office drama, I thought it was, was very enjoyable. Cause I like that stuff. Um, 
right, let's do a couple of sports things before we end it. Boxing was huge for HBO. I think everyone knows that for a very long time. I want to I want to talk about inside the NFL. Obviously, when that show ended, it wasn't a shock because the Internet came along and made that show a little outdated. But that show had been on the air for so long. Len Dawson, Nick Bonacani became like these sports, you know, legends because of inside the NFL. And the way they got the axe was pretty disgusting. I mean, just after their last show told this was it, that, that that's a wrap on it. No, you know, sort of uh, bells and whistles for a show like that. That had to hurt those people who worked on that show for so long. It, it did. There's a great guy and a good, uh, again, another name that people may not know, but it's just important. You know, Dave Harmon, who worked on Inside the NFL, a uh, great producer. His father worked on the show. I, I, you know, I think that when you, when you have a show like that, that's so inextricably linked to the network and had been around for so long and then it disappears. Um, it was really rough. It was really rough for the people who worked on Wimbledon. Remember, HBO brought us Wimbledon during the week. Yeah. They would like take tapes from England, put it on the Concord. So it comes back to the United States and we can see it. There was no other place to see it. So, and then they lose Wimbledon. They, you know, they give up on that at the, uh, at the end of the century. I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I tried to do was try and show just how attached people who work at, at these places get to these shows and also us as viewers. You know, and then all of a sudden, one day it's gone. One day the world changes. Um, they were so smart to say to boxing promoters like Don King and others, look, you know, the networks have given up on boxing. ABC showed it in the afternoon on Saturdays when everybody was out, you know, mowing their lawn and nobody saw it. They moved boxing to prime time. It was an incredible move. And yeah. they did it just in time for Mike Tyson, Tommy Hagler, Hearns, Sugar Ray. I mean, it's incredible. Um, they had an unbelievable run with boxing. Last thing, and it's sort of for my own ego and my own interest, because I loved it so much to this day. I, I was shocked, pleasantly shocked, pleasantly shocked that you actually covered the infamous Vince McMahon interview with Bob Costas, where Vince basically wanted to kill Bob. And, <laughs> you know, at first I was a little surprised you covered. I was like, oh, man, he really covered everything. This isn't it. Then I see you actually got Vince McMahon to speak about it. I want to know how you got Vince to speak. Vince does not do interviews. How did you pull that off? Well, I think, you know, my, my plea was I'm writing a book of record. It, you know, just like the Joe Buck, uh, you know, there are certain things that happen, you know, one time. Uh, right. But they're so, <laughs> we're so caught up in them, like, right. you know, in the lore uh, after, uh, you know, about them continues to this day. So I said, look, I can write this without your perspective. I said, but I'm trying to do a book of record. And I think that, you know, I'd really like to understand what went on from your perspective. And Bob talked to me as well, which I was deeply appreciative of. And I think that when you, you look at both of those guys talking about that day, you think, well, this could have been a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vin, Vin said if Bob was taller, he would have popped him. Oh. But you got to give, you know, Costas is sitting right, hanging in there, right, right there. And, uh, you know, wasn't backing down. And I think that Vince was really honest and it, it was, uh, it was rather compelling. And how, how is interviewing Vince for you? I mean, he's, he's one of the all time characters that doesn't do interviews. So I'm just curious when you had a chat with him, how to go. Well, I think that, you know, there's a really cool thing that happens when people, get to this, the level of Vince, right? Which is like, they don't give a shit, except right. what they, they, they care about the truth, or at least the truth is they see it. And so there's no artificiality. There's no, he's not trying to like spin anything. He's just like, you know, you hook him up to a lie detector test. I mean, he is going to be believing every single word he says, and he does it with incredible force, un, you know, unsurprisingly. Now, I just realized it just hit me in my head here. What you also cover in the book, I love this movie, The Late Shift, based off the Bill Carter book about Letterman and Leno and all that. You, you do cover that. And you actually got quotes from Letterman. Who was harder to get on the phone or via email, Letterman or Vince? I talked to both of them. It was an email. Um, I don't know. I mean. Because Dave does not like to, you know, and Dave, that topic no, too. In fact, but Dave not only talked to me, but apologized 
to yeah. Michael Higgins Clark because there's this whole saga when he bumped him with the movie and you know Dave doesn't like the movie and Dave winds up talking with Julia Roberts for an extra couple segments and this guy gets bounced I mean Dave Letterman God bless him I mean he like literally says to me look you know what Jim I I, I owe the guy an apology I I this is what I was thinking at the time you know again like trying to settle something for the you know for the the record and trying to explain what he was thinking about if anyone doesn't know, so HBO made this movie called The Late Shift and the actor who played David Letterman was supposed to be on Dave's show. Dave, not a fan of the movie. And then the guy who played him got bumped and Dave claimed it was an accident because he had Julia Roberts on that night, which kind of makes sense if he goes along with Julia, who was his favorite guest. But the one thing in, in your book, though, Dave claims he doesn't even remember the incident. That I found, I mean, I love Dave, but I found that one a little well, he hard to believe. may have not remembered the particulars of the incident, but... Right. Dave was great for me in the CA book, and uh, I was so glad to, yep. you know, you, it sounds weird. Like, I was so glad to get Dave Letterman for the HBO book. And you think, what the hell are you talking about? He's right, right. HBO, but it was really worth it. And he was, a, he was, he was an unbelievable prince about it. Well, like I said, I'm two thirds in. I love the book. If anyone is into media, pop culture, all those HBO shows, uh, there is not a stone unturned. You did a great job with it, and uh, I've enjoyed it. And I can't wait to finish the last uh, 300 pages here this week. So thank you for uh, coming on and chatting about Jimmy, Tinderbox. Thank you. Box. you, thank you My pleasure. All right. Take it easy, Jim. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. All right, it's time for our weekly train of thought segment here on the SI Media Podcast. I bring in my buddy Sal Licata from WFAN in New York and SNY TV. Sal, how was your Thanksgiving? Um, it was pretty good. I mean, I, like everybody else, I overeat to the point of where I don't feel well. And then I had work early the next day and I just was miserable. It took me like four days to recover. But other than that, it was great. You said on the pod last week, you know, you have sometimes you struggle balancing the football games with the family and the wife and the kid. So just want to make see in my mind, I did a great job, but then I hear my wife say you were locked into the football games all day. yesterday." I was like, what do you mean? I was, I guess you're right. I was locked into the football games. The freaking Cowboys screwed me on a teaser, but yeah, it was, I, you try to balance, you know, hanging out with the kids and talking to the family and pretending to listen to what they have to say while also being locked into the lions and Cowboys throughout the day. A lot of people, I think, were like 38 million plus watched Cowboys Raiders. I saw that. I saw that it was the highest since 98. Why? I Like, what, what do you know the reason for that? I Well, I think a couple of things. They, they now include something called out of home ratings. I don't know. I should know more about how it affects the number, but that's a factor. But you have the Cowboys and the Raiders. Right. So you know? that one game brings up the average for everybody that makes Absolutely. it the most since 98. 27 million people watched Bears Lions, which was Insane. completely unwatchable. Insane. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. What was the number for the night game specifically? I missed. That. I don't remember the okay. night game. I just I'd just be curious with the drop day. off. But you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, America's team. That, yeah. You know, they're uh, they're not kidding with that. And it was an exciting game. I mean, yeah. you know, I was rooting for Dallas, but unfortunately, I didn't get it done. But still an exciting game. I think that that helps, too. Definitely. That that was a huge factor in it. A um, few topics to go through here during train of thoughts. I want to start with the college football coaching stuff. I, I know you're not a huge college football guy. You're here in New York where we don't have a team and it's not talked about that much on the fan. And I'm not mm -hmm. going to get into like nuts and bolts of it. 
I just, there's one thing I want to just get off my chest after seeing what's taken place. I mean, listen, the whole thing to me is kind of gross and I'm all, everybody should get as much money as they can and take whatever job they want. I have no issues with any of that, but this has, this should, ha- this cannot happen during the season. It has to happen after the season. If all this happened the day after the national title game, I'd have no issues with it, but you have coaches leaving schools who are still playing games, who are still in the playoff hunt. It's not, it's, I don't understand how anyone could think that's right. I don't understand. Yeah. You know what's weird? That's an angle that I didn't even really think about. I was just thinking about it more. How could he leave these kids like that? And I get the money. But I think you bring up a great point. There's got to be a rule that's set in place. It is a free-for-all. That's why, you know what? That's why I'm turned off by college sports. It's such a dirty sport anyway. And then you have these guys, Brian Kelly. Now, I'm not blaming him for taking the most money. You're lying to young kids' face. These are not millionaire athletes. Right. You recruited them. You're lying to them, selling them a bill of goods. Well, and it's the same BS. It's not just him. We've heard it from every coach over the years. It happened. Every good coach. That's my issue. This is one of my hugest pet peeves in covering sports and with sports fans who are deranged is when sports fans try to compare sports to other things. Sports is unique. So I'm all for Brian Kelly getting whatever job he wants for whatever money he wants. What I don't like is when people don't use the excuse though. Like you would do the same, right? Everyone would do that. Okay. So like if I work at sports illustrated and I leave to go to ESPN or whatever, or if someone who works for Coke leaves to go to Pepsi, all that's fine. There's a difference. This guy's coaching 80 right. kids. It's not, it's not the same him. as a regular job. So don't compare it to regular jobs. It's stupid. You're not just worried about one individual. And right. and on top of that, he's supposed to be a leader and set the example for these kids. And what type of example is that? Now, again, it's hard because I'm not blaming somebody for taking hundreds of millions of dollars, whatever it may be. But to bolt on your team in the middle of the season, that screams selfishness. That screams, I truly don't give a crap about you or this program. I care about me, which is fine. But ultimately, I think it shows the character, and you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, as a head. There's got to be a better way, doesn't again, there? I have no issue with it at all if he does it after the season. There's the, listen, if, if Iowa could ever beat Michigan, if since you know, Notre Dame is like in the mix a little bit here, and he's not there. That is wrong. He, sh- you should have to finish out the season, then go take whatever job you want. It's just not right. Well, how could right. that? How could that happen? How? What kind of rules do we have here when he's obviously under contract? How could it happen that he could leave in the middle of the season? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Every coach must have an out that he can. You know, I think recruiting is. You know, again, we're not big college football nuts, but the recruiting recruiting calendar, I think, is a factor in all this. Right. I mean, and then I saw I saw a tweet. This morning, I think someone who was supposed to go to Oklahoma now says he's not going there because Lincoln Riley left. And the whole thing is just it's oh, all gross. God. It's all yeah. just gross. Agreed. Um, but, you know, and again, you know, I'm here. I, I'll watch every game every Saturday. I'm there for it. I don't care about that stuff doesn't affect me. But just as you know, as a human being, like, can the guy stay there for the whole well, season? Well, the question would become, let me ask you, what would happen now at LSU? See, if I'm being recruited. And Brian Kelly comes to my house and says, I want you to come to LSU. I'd be like, you? You just bolted on your team midseason. You think I'm going to trust you and come play for you? So I would, me personally, I might have an issue with that. That should hurt them with recruiting. Now, it probably won't, but I'm just telling you from my perspective. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if a 17 or 18-year-old is thinking that way. That's that's fair. They're just thinking LSU, oh, my God, you're famous and rich. Yeah, what the hell, help yeah. me out. I guess. That's fair. Yeah. Um, another topic here in Train of Thoughts. I thought this Will Ferrell, Adam McKay story. Are you a Will Ferrell guy? Because it seems like Will Ferrell's one of those people, like you're either a big Will Ferrell guy or you're not. It is funny that you say that. My mother I and would be. Yeah, my mother and wife hate him, but I love him. I've always loved Will Ferrell. Now, I'm not saying that every one of his movies are great. You know, I put like Adam Sandler and Chris Farley in a different category, but I like Will Ferrell a lot. And uh, you know, I, I, to find to read that story and hear that he basically got bent out of shape to a point where he ruined his lifelong friendship with this guy because he wasn't cast in a movie. I thought that was a little. So if anyone hasn't seen it yet, there's a big interview with Adam McKay in Vanity Fair. Adam McKay is basically Will Ferrell's partner in every movie. And they're doing the, a movie about the late the Showtime Lakers. And Adam McKay wants John Riley to play 
Jerry Buss and Will Ferrell got pissed off that he's not getting the part and ended the partnership. Like they had a business and everything. So he ended the business and the friendship. What struck me about this is, you know, like Will Ferrell has, you know, he has more money than God. And mm-hmm. like, you know, like, do you, can you, I, can you maybe just suck this up and let someone else do the role? Like, I, you know, I don't, there's two sides to every story. So I don't want to come out and just say, Will Ferrell's hundred percent wrong. Like I want to know what his side is, but here's the other thing that struck me about this. I've never seen Will Ferrell be Will Ferrell. He's always on and he's yeah. always like, I've never seen a serious Will Ferrell when he's on talk shows and the movies, he's always. So the fact I, I would, I would pay money to see him get this news. And then, and I, I would love to see him mad in real life. <laughs> like what would that look like? Cause he's always goofing around. And the issue that maybe he had with it. And again, you're right. Who knows? We're just going based off of what we read from one guy's side of the story. But that McKay admitted to not handling it the right way. So that I could understand Farrell being like, what the heck? Like, you don't even have the decency to come tell me. You got to beat around the bush. But there's probably a reason why he did. He was afraid to tell him because he knew what was going to be the fallout. The whole thing is just, I don't get how you could become, like, I was thinking about that when we talked about the topics that we might discuss. And I was thinking about it in relation to you and I, because we're, we're obviously friends. We've been friends for a long time. And then we start working together. And let's just say that there was some kind of issue I still can never imagine it to a point where I'd be like, oh, I'm never talking to you again. Like to get to that level, that is when you've been friends for 25 plus years, that how the hell does that even happen? Right. So you hit on it. It wasn't even if you believe the Adam McKay side of the story, it wasn't even so much that Will Ferrell didn't get the part of Jerry Buss. It was that Adam McKay didn't tell Will Ferrell. And I I'm with you there. I could see being mad, pissed off. You need a break from each other. But he just ends everything just because, you know, he wasn't told the way he wanted to be told. And boom, it's all over. That's right, rough. Dude, you don't want to cross that. Dude. I mean, that, that's... but it's so weird to me that it's Will Ferrell. Like if you told me this was Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or whatever, I can't imagine Will Ferrell <laughs> being this angry. Like, I just can't. Are you a uh, an elf fan? That's one of my favorites. No, I'm not. Really? Old school is the best Will Ferrell movie. Step Brothers. So, have you seen that one? Yeah, I think it's okay. I don't. Okay. I mean, some of them are just beyond dumb, but Francesca used to, uh, he used to bust my chops all the time. Mike, you see Anchorman? Oh, it's the worst movie ever created. And I was telling about Anchorman too. He would always, he'd always bite. I'd always know what he was going to say, but those, you know, and they're stupid movies, but they're funny. I I like school is, is to me, like that is. That's an old movie now, you know? Oh yeah. Which is, which is crazy, but. Because we're old. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A Redwood Forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com. Speaking of uh, stuff that goes on in entertainment, I just had James Andrew Miller on. He wrote this great book on HBO. So I wanted your HBO Mount Rushmore of shows, which now I have to say, I have discussed this before with people. I think I think maybe Kyle Brand or Schrager asked me this question when they were on once. And it really flustered me because it's it's hard to narrow. I'll tell you one thing from reading the book, which I tell you, know, you don't realize. I mean, the amount of shows that have been on HBO that are just top level shows. Do you have do, if I said, give me your Mount Rushmore, could you come up with one? Well, the, immediately I go to Sopranos. Like there are some you have to think of, and I take these questions very seriously, and they are hard. I also would not go with like I saw some lists, 
uh, you know, True Detective, while I love that show, you, I'm not going with a show that's a short series. It's got to be a, you know, a legitimate hit. So Sopranos immediately would be my number one. I'd probably go The Wire, Curb, and very difficult because they're all great ones, as you said. I enjoyed Six Feet Under. I enjoyed Board, uh, Boardwalk Empire. I'd probably go Game of Thrones four. So Sopranos, Wire, Curb, Game of Thrones. If I had no, if I could only pick the rest of my life four shows to watch from HBO, those would be the four. You've watched way more HBO shows than I have. Like I didn't watch Boardwalk Empire. I didn't watch Game of Thrones. I don't know if you, but I don't know if you like Game of Thrones. Oh, forget about that, Yeah, there's no chance. Boardwalk, I don't know if you'd like. I watched, you, I think, the first couple of episodes and then I was out. What about The Wire? You've seen that one? I have not. That's uh -oh. a bad one. I will watch that. I will gonna, watch, that I will watch. Yeah, that was like saving. on my pandemic list, and then it fell through the cracks. You're, but you're I will saving watch your ass it. now. You're going to get ripped for that one. No, no but, I, no, but like Game of Thrones, I'll never watch as long as I live. I, I think that's understood. I think The Wire, you probably... I will watch it. Yeah. yeah. I will watch it. What's your four? Um, I mean, Sopranos, Curb. I think three for me would be the Ali G show. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that one. And then four would be really tough. I I, I might go Veep. Oh, good one. Um, you but if You're I had an entourage to, guy, I watched the first couple of seasons and then I realized it was literally the same thing every episode. And I, I you know, Vince needs a movie deal and the little manager tries to get him a movie deal. And mm -hmm. then the other guy comes in screaming. It was the same thing. So I stopped after like, like middle of the second. I season. liked it, but Mount Rushmore is strong. No, I would go Veep. Sopranos and Curb, no brainers. And it's the other two that you play. I mean, you have like things like real sports, which, you know, is a docu, you know, not a docu, a, mm -hmm. uh, you know, news kind of show, which is a great show. I, but I, Ali G show would definitely be on it for me. I don't think there's a show that ever made me laugh harder in my life. And then I guess I would go veep, you know, but there's things like, by the way, Lamar, there's sex in the city. I mean, I know maybe not for you or I, our cup of tea that I think most people who have seen it, you know, if you're I going watched a couple of episodes of that and thought it was the single worst show I've ever seen in my life. Like they're just, <laughs> here's my thing with that show. With any show, when I watch a show, I want to like the people on the show. I don't all know right. why was they're all horrible, horrible women. Do you watch Love Life? That's on HBO. I watched the it? first season with Anna Kendrick. I liked oh, it a lot. Oh, it was so good. I, I started I the second season, which is good, but at, with yeah. Anna Kendrick, it was phenomenal. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, and look, I love Succession. I, I like Sex in the City. And I think a lot of people would probably put Sex in the City on. You're talking about Mount Rushmore, biggest. But for hits. you, for you, for right, you. Right, exactly. Yeah, for yeah. me, uh, no, I gave you my four. I would go Sopranos. Yeah, yeah wire curb game of thrones those are my okay. four speaking of curb i thought this week was phenomenal <laughs> do you have any thoughts before i get into my i mean let me just say that only la like in the first five minutes he's mocking short people fat people and he did so oh there was something else he did it was just tremendous it was just Tremendous Larry, but this, I don't know okay. if it's because I'm paying more attention to it because we kind of talk about it weekly here, but this has been a vintage curb season. I, I just loved where, you know, you're looking at the, the heavy guy on the roof and he's like, what the hell is this? But then at the end, Leon yelling at him, give me back my charger, you fat bleep and blah, blah, yes. blah. Oh God, it was so. The char I thought the charger thing was brilliant. Yeah. You're a 23%. I'm a 2%. <laughs> I thought that was so good. Vince Vaughn has been tremendous on the show. He's great. Um, I love Vince Vaughn. This was a this was a classic. I mean, just him fighting with the woman because she he didn't want her to carry the bags. Oh God, yeah, also great. You know what was interesting though? Susie was not in this episode. Huh? I guess I didn't notice that. Yeah, I noticed that she was not in, and I guess uh, Richard Lewis will be back this week. You know, I was thinking, is he? He's coming back this week? Next week? Next week? They had okay. him in the previous for next week. Oh, all right. Uh, but that was Larry just being able to make fun of everyone and no one else can do it. So that's why it was great. Love it. I thought of, um, so I'll, I'll give the listeners a little peeky. So I basically invited myself to Sal's house on Sunday to watch football. <laughs> and I was driving home and I was thinking that should be a curb episode. 
like when you invite yourself to someone's house, how you have to do it, there's a strategy involved. Like, you know, you have to make it like, you can't be like, oh, I'm coming over. You well, with, like, you, the- with you and I, you could have just said, hey, I, I want to come over today and watch the games. Are you free? But you throw the nice out there. Are you watching the games by yourself today? Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> and then I went for the sympathy and said, if I have to sit in my house and watch the Jets and Giants at one o'clock, I'll kill myself. Well, the thing that you should know is for the most part, I, I'm going to be home watching the games. Don't and you think I knew that when I sent out well, the text? Well, I knew, right. so like I said, the there's a strategy in the self-invite. Right. But you're able to so – I, I always give you the open invite. So, I, so I'm not going to invite you every single week and go through that. But if you're free and, hey, there are good games, what are you doing? You know, can I come by? It's fine. My wife doesn't care necessarily because it's only you and because I'm downstairs watching the games anyway. What's the harm if you come? And watch the game. But so. Larry can do a good episode about him trying to get to invite right. himself to someone's house. I was thinking of that because <laughs> there is you got to be careful how you do it. Yeah. Uh, we haven't done this in a while. I'm going to wrap this up by reading some reviews here because we got a few in over the holiday. Okay. And there's some good ones here. And then we'll we'll uh, say goodbye. I'll do it quickly. Uh, this first review came in from the the Bragman breakdown. This is on Apple. If you leave an Apple review, I will read it on one of these podcasts. Just so you know. This is short and simple. I love this. The podcast I never knew I needed. I didn't know you needed it either, but I'm glad you found it. All right. Backstroke 03. I became a loyal listener during the pandemic and find Jimmy to be relatable. He asks insightful questions and throws in pop culture references that reason resonate with a 41 year old from the Northeast. I always expect to hate the wrestling interviews, but I'm pleasantly surprised (laughs) most times. Sal has been a great addition and I look forward to that segment each week. Heard Sal mention that Jimmy lost 100 pounds when discussing the phony marathon bib picture. And to quote Doggy, that's a good job out of you. I did not lose 100 <laughs> pounds, but I do appreciate that sentiment. And I still can't believe people thought I'd run a marathon. I love he throws the doggy thing in there. That's a good job. I didn't realize you said I lost 100. Don't give people fake information. Well, how much did you lose exactly? Not 100. All right. 80s villager. Meat stuffing is the topic. Thanksgiving stuffing with sausage is not called bread stuffing. It's called meat stuffing. Bread stuffing has no meat. Dolts. This guy's very upset about last week's podcast. Now, he did give it four stars. So he knocked the star off the rating because we were talking about stuffing. And I said it has to have sausage. You said yours has meat. And he's saying then that's not stuffing. I don't know where this guy's coming from. but uh, I mean, go, go fight with my grandmother and grandfather who've been telling me it's stuffing since I was born. I mean, what, it's stuffing. I, you can you could have different versions of it, but that to me, it's rice stuffing, I guess. Rice with chopped meat and celery. And you obviously have your, you know, sausage. I, you could call it whatever you want. Give me sausage with the celery, the onions and the bread. I don't care what you call it. Like I, I want my extra star back. <laughs> uh, here's another review from a name I can't pronounce. FSC. Z C G I G whatever. Uh, this podcast is appointment listening for me. The guests are outstanding, and I find the world of sports media to be fascinating. This is a five star podcast, and I believe my rating should carry some extra weight, as I am one who finds Jimmy's politics to be disgusting and cringeworthy. Despite that, I have to give the show five stars and would recommend it to everyone. P.S. I do hate the wrestling segments, but every commenter says that. Frank in Chicago. Wow. Now that's a big person to hate my politics and still listen and give five stars. You're repulsive. A, what do you say? What do you, what yeah. do you label you? Wow. Cringe, cringeworthy. Oh, yeah. cringeworthy. I I'll think that it. is a, that's good for you to where that shouldn't matter because you're providing good content and people enjoy you. It doesn't matter what your political take is. That's a good he, one. Here's one from Smurf Dizzle. <laughs> Love the guest. Best part of the show is train of thoughts. So there's another pop for Sal. Keep giving me WWE superstars regardless of what anybody says. And keep <laughs> dropping Seinfeld references. Jimmy reminds me of George LOL. Interviews are great. Only issue with this pod is the same issue Jimmy has with the Manning cast. Jimmy cuts off a lot of his, a lot of his guests mid-sentence, and oftentimes it kills a great conversation with him butting in and stammering. Other than that, I look forward to a new episode to drop. <laughs> I, I get this. All, I get this all the time about the interrupting and. One, I can't help it. Two, I don't want to do a question and answer thing. I want to have a conversation, so I'm always going to interrupt. I'll try to get better. I don't know what to say about it. Budding, budding in and interested. <laughs> now, now, here's what's funny about that review. Here's the last review I'm going to read you from Ridgecliff Monster. Great interview. Jimmy did a great job of just letting Al Michaels talk and guiding him through the interview. Really good listen. First one I've ever listened to. Literally ready for the next one. Curious how the interview with Becky Lynch goes. So, I interrupt. I let Al go. They like the wrestling. They don't like the wrestling. 
You know what I've learned? I don't know what to do. Well, I mean, just be yourself. You can't please everybody. And I learned that this week when the Mets signed Max Scherzer. You would think, like, for a fan base that that complains nonstop, you would think at least they'd enjoy it for a moment. The first call I get on the overnight, the guy's like, oh, this is a terrible signing. He's 38. What's going to happen when he gets hurt? I'm like, what? I just you, you can't please everybody. Simple as that. The Mets go get Max freaking Scherzer, and nobody's happy. So, That's, point is, just got to be yourself and deal with I it. I wonder though, how much of that is a New York thing, and you know, I think every team. I, I would assume outside of New York, anyone who would have signed Max Scherzer, the fans would have been happy. In New York, oh, we're, we're well, you know. I mean, you got a team like the Pirates signing Jared freaking Eichhoff, and the Mets give forty three million a year you, to Max Scherzer, and people. Are I see. I don't think you've learned the lesson yet that sports fans are not normal. They're way off their rocker. So you just hundred hundred percent. That is a hundred percent accurate. But I love sports fans who listen to the SI Media podcast. So keep tuning in. <laughs> All right, Sal. Hey, we're two of them. We're both off yeah. our rocker too. So yeah, exactly. I mean, I sit there. I, you know, there's a tweet yesterday about like someone the Yankees are going to sign, and in my head, all I'm thinking about is like John Sterling nicknames, and I'm like, I got to get a life. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Spend ten minutes trying to figure out what he's going to come up with. All right, Sal. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. All right, see you later. All right, take it easy. All right, that wraps it up for this episode of the SI Media Podcast. My thanks to Jim Miller, Salakata. If you missed any recent episodes, dip into the archives and give them a listen. And if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe to the SI Media Podcast. Recent guests in the past few weeks, Kenny Mayne, Becky Lynch from WWE, The Ringers, Kevin Clark, Al Michaels, all on the SI Media Podcast in recent weeks. Check them out in the archives. Subscribe and review. All right, that wraps it up. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Stay safe. Take care. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.